Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. What a blessing it is for us to be together this morning. Worship our God who is so good to us each and every day. I'm so thankful to see all of you here this morning. As we begin our study this morning from God's Word, I want to ask you to go back in your Bible to the verses that Brother James read for us this morning in Matthew chapter 21. Will you go in your Bible to Matthew 21, beginning with verse number 23? I want you to notice how there in those verses we find Jesus teaching the Word of God in the temple and he is confronted by some of the Jewish religious leaders. He's actually confronted by the chief priests and the elders of the people. Both of these groups of people, they come to Jesus with, with a question. Specifically, they have a question about authority. They have a question about his authority. They want to know by what authority do you teach the things that you teach? By what authority do you do the things that you do? These men come to Jesus questioning the source of his authority, and I got to tell you that that is a very interesting thing that they do because it shows us that despite the many flaws that these men had, they did at least have enough sense to recognize the need for authority. They did at least have enough sense to recognize the need for religious authority. In fact, not only did they recognize the need for religious authority, but, but so did Jesus. Jesus also recognized the same need. I think we can be pretty certain of that because, because of how he responded to their question. Going back to verse number 24, notice how in response to their question about authority, Jesus did not say, how dare you ask me such a question? How dare you ask me about authority? Authority? Who in the world needs that? Who in the world needs authority when it comes to, to anything that a person does in religion? Notice how Jesus did not casually brush aside their question about authority. Instead, he told them that he would answer their question about authority if they first answered his. You see, Jesus also had a question about authority. And his question had to do with the baptism of John. His question had to do with the source of John's baptism. When it came to the baptism that was being administered by John at this time, Jesus asked these men, what was its source? Where did it come from? Who authorized that baptism? Did it come from heaven? Or did it come from men? Did it come from God? Or did it come from people? You see, that is the question that Jesus asked these men. And from that question, Jesus teaches us something very important about authority. He teaches us something very important about religious authority. He tells us that when it comes to the things that we do in religion, 
the authority for those practices can only come from one of two places. Either it's going to come from heaven or it's going to come from men. Either it's going to come from the mind of God or it's going to come from the mind of people. Those were the only two options when it came to the source of John's baptism, and brothers and sisters, those are also the only two options when it comes to the source that anything that a person does in religion. That is what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter 21. And we need to understand that that is a concept that these religious leaders clearly understood. That is a concept that they clearly could not argue with. I think we can be pretty certain about that because notice how they reacted to his question. But notice how instead of charging the Lord Jesus with asking a foolish question, the Bible says that these men refused to, to answer his question. The Bible says that these men were afraid to answer his question. They knew that if they had correctly acknowledged the authority of John's baptism as coming from heaven, the people would have then asked them, then why did you reject it? Why did you reject John as a prophet? Why did you reject his baptism? Why did you reject the authority of heaven? You see, here the Lord is exposing the fact that one of the big problems with these men is they refuse to submit to heaven's authority. The question is, is what about us? What about us this morning? What about us even as a, a church when it comes to us as the Monte Vista Church of Christ? And when it comes to the things that we do as a church, what is our standard? What is our guide? What is our foundation? By what authority or source do we practice the things that we practice? I mean, is the source of authority for the things that we do, is it from heaven? Or is it from men? I want to suggest that if the source of our authority is coming from men, then that could mean we're doing the things that we do for the wrong reasons. For example, that could mean that we are doing the things that we do merely because of tradition. Merely because of man-made traditions. And don't misunderstand, don't misunderstand there's nothing inherently wrong or sinful about man-made traditions, but we also need to understand that man-made traditions can become a big problem when we start putting them above the word of God. That is exactly what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 15, verses 3 through 6. Now, due to time, we won't, we won't read those verses this morning, but I recommend that you go home and, and read those verses today. And, and there in those verses, you will find Jesus rebuking the, the religious leaders of his day because they were guilty of putting their man-made traditions above the law of God. 
They were guilty of putting their man-made traditions above the word of God. You see, according to Jesus, men like the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes, while they knew the word of God and while they even taught the word of God, they seemed to be more concerned with keeping their man-made traditions above submitting to heaven's authority. They seem to be more concerned with their man-made traditions above, above keeping and promoting the word of God, and that was certainly the wrong decision for them to make. That was certainly the wrong thing for them to do. You see, we got to understand that while man-made traditions are not inherently sinful, they are a faulty standard of authority for, for the things we do in religion. They should not be the source of our authority, and neither should the standard of emotions. Emotions. You know, sometimes people say, well, well if it looks right to me, if it feels right, if it is something that makes me feel good inside, then I know it's what I need to do. I know it's what God wants me to do. I know it's what Jesus wants me to do. You, you ever heard someone say that before? You ever been guilty of, of saying that before? I, I've heard many people say that numerous times in my life. And whenever I hear religious folks say that kind of stuff, I can't help but be reminded of the Apostle Paul in Acts 26, right? Remember in Acts 26, verses 9 through 11 there, we read about the Apostle Paul talking about his life before he became a Christian. And he says that before he became a Christian, he was guilty of persecuting Christians. He was the kind of person who would go from house to house and, and drag Christians out of their homes and, and threw them in jail. Why did he do that? Well, according to what he says, he says he did that because he felt it was the right thing to do. He felt that's what God wanted him to do. He really felt in his heart that God wanted him to persecute Christians and try to stomp out the church. That's how Paul sincerely felt in his heart. But eventually he came to realize from Jesus that he was wrong. He was in error. His feelings were not lining up with the true will of God. You see, the standard for what we do in religion. The authority for what we do, it can't come from our traditions or our emotions, and it also can't come from the majority. From following the majority. Go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, please. I want to show you something in Matthew 7 in just a moment. Go to Matthew chapter 7. You know, so often people say, they say, well, I will base my beliefs and the authority for the things that I do on what everybody else is doing. They say that if the majority is doing that, then that must mean it's okay. That must mean that it is right. That must mean that God is pleased with that particular practice. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've heard people say that as well. The question is, is that true? Is that right? Is what the majority do is what they do, the right standard for authority. It certainly wasn't in the days of Noah, right? 
It certainly was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. It certainly was in the days of many of the prophets like Elijah and Elisha and, and Jeremiah and Isaiah. And it's also not going to be on the day of judgment when we stand before Jesus Christ. You in Matthew chapter 7? Look at Matthew chapter 7 in verse, in verse number 13. Matthew 7 and verse 13, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. What is Jesus teaching here? Well, simply put, here the Lord is teaching that when it's all said and done, when he comes back and the world is destroyed and the judgment day occurs, there are going to be a lot more people lost than there are saved. There are going to be a lot more people in hell than there are in heaven. You see here, Jesus is telling us that just because the majority are going a certain direction, that doesn't automatically make their direction right. That doesn't automatically make their standard right. I mean, if we're going to base what is right and wrong in religion on what the majority are doing, then guess what? We all need to convert to Islam and become Muslims because there are way more people in the world who are Muslims right now than there are people who are New Testament Christians. I think we can all agree that the Lord Jesus is teaching us that what the majority do that's, that shouldn't be our standard of authority in religion, and the same can also be said about our family. Our family. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've encountered people, even in my own family, who said things like, well, if being part of this denominational church was good enough for my parents, then it's also good enough for me. Being a Catholic is good enough for me. Being a Mormon is good enough for me. Being a Muslim or a Buddhist or an atheist is good enough for me. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've heard people in my own family say that kind of stuff. They base their standard of authority on what people in their family do, and that is a terrible place to get your authority from because, believe it or not, my friends, but members of our family could be wrong. Mama could be wrong. Daddy could be wrong. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, and sisters, none of these people are infallible and above God and his word. What I just want you to see is these are examples of standards of authority in religion. They come from men and not from God. These come from the mind of people. They don't come from heaven. And because they don't come from heaven, when we follow them, when we allow them to be our standard of authority in religion, we're going to have a whole host of problems. We're going to be divided. This is one of the reasons why there's so much division in religion today. We're going to be teaching error. We're going to be promoting error. We're going to be confused. And more importantly than all those things, we're going to be in sin. We're going to be doing things that, that maybe God doesn't want us to be doing. See, those are the consequences of getting our authority from men 
and not from heaven. And so this brings us to our next question this morning, and that is, how can we determine if what we're doing is right? Another way we can say that is, how can we determine if we have God's approval when it comes to the things that we do? How can we determine if as a local church, if as a congregation, we right now are in full submission to heaven's authority? Well, I want to give you three things to think about, and I want you to jot these things down. First, I want to suggest that we can determine with 100% certainty that we are in full submission to heaven's authority when we first make sure we submit ourselves to the teachings of Christ. The teachings of Christ, not the teachings of Muhammad in the Quran, not the teachings of Joseph Smith, in the Book of Mormon, not the teachings of Buddha or Confucius or even the teachings of the law of Moses that was exclusively given by God to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. And it was done away with when Jesus died on the cross. No, brothers and sisters, if we're going to submit to heaven's authority today, then we got to submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus Christ. We got to submit ourselves to the teachings of Jesus Christ. We got to submit ourselves to the covenant or the law that he instituted through his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. Jesus makes that very point himself before going to heaven to, to sit at the right hand of his father. In Matthew 28, beginning with verse number 18, the gospel of Matthew concludes with these words. It says, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority, no, it is all authority, not some, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now watch this, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, not Moses. Not Joseph Smith, not Mohammed. You teach people to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You put that with what Jesus also says in John 8 and verse number 31. When speaking to some Jews who had believed in him, he says, if you continue in my word, my word, that you're truly disciples of mine. In John 12 and verse 48, Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke, not the words Moses spoke, even though the words Moses spoke came from God. Here Jesus says the words that I speak, the, not the words that Muhammad spoke, not the words that Joseph Smith or Buddha spoke, the word that I spoke. That's what's going to judge you on the last day. John will emphasize this point even further in 2 John 9, when he says anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. Some of your translations say in the doctrine of Christ. If you don't abide in the teaching of Christ, you don't have God. That is, you don't have fellowship with God. You don't have a relationship with God. The one who does abide in the teaching, he has both, or he has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. Do you see the point? You see the point? Notice how throughout the New Testament we learn over and over again 
that if we are going to submit to the authority of heaven today, then we got to make sure we submit to the teachings of Jesus Christ. We got to make sure that we abide in the doctrine or the teachings of Jesus Christ. We have to make sure that we understand that all authority in heaven on, and, and on earth has been given to God's son, Jesus Christ, and God the Father expects us, no, rather he demands that we listen closely to what his son says and just make sure we do what he says. That's one of the key ways in which we can make sure both as individuals and as a church, if we are submitting to heaven's authority. If we're going to submit to heaven's authority, then we got to submit to the teachings of Jesus Christ. But, but not only must we submit to the teachings of Jesus Christ, a second thing we also got to do is we got to submit to the teachings of the apostles. The teachings of the apostles. And I understand, I know that the teachings of Christ and the teachings of the apostles are one in the same, but I want to highlight the Bible's use of this particular language because so often people say, well, you know what? I don't care about what the apostles wrote. I don't care about what Paul wrote. I don't care what Peter and John wrote. All I care about is the red letters. All I care about is what Jesus said. If, if to say Jesus wrote down the red letters in the Bible. So often people say, I, I, I want what Jesus said, but I don't want what the apostles said. I want to submit to you that there's a ton of problems with that line of thinking. A ton of problems. In fact, the main problem with that thinking is it contradicts so many passages that are found in the scriptures. For example, it contradicts 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 37, where Paul said to the Corinthian brethren, the things that I write to you, that is, the things that Paul wrote down for us have been preserved in the scriptures. He says, the things I write, these are the commandments of the Lord. Not the commandments of Paul, the commandments of the Lord. You put that with what Paul said to the Thessalonian brethren. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse number 13, there Paul commends the Thessalonian brethren because they accepted his words not as the teachings of men, but as the very word of God. And then in Philippians 4 and in verse number 9, Paul said to the Philippian brethren, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And then look over at John chapter 16, please. Look at John 16. And I want you to notice what Jesus says in verse number 12, John 16 and verse 12. Here in the context, please understand that Jesus is speaking to the apostles. This is not long before he would be crucified. And then John 16 and verse 12, Jesus says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all, not some. He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take up mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. 
What is Jesus saying here? Well, simply put here, the Lord is saying, he's saying that everything that the apostles would teach, everything that they would preach, everything that they, they would even write down after he was gone, would be inspired by the Holy Spirit. It would be inspired by the spirit of truth. It would be inspired by the member of the Godhead who was sent to reveal to them the very word of God. You see here, Jesus is putting his stamp of approval on the teachings and the writings of the apostles. And this is something that the early Christians really bought into. This is something that the early disciples really believed and understood. In fact, it brings us to the third thing we got to do to submit to the authority of heaven. And that is must not, not only must we submit to the teachings of Christ, which is also the teachings of the apostles. But thirdly, we must also submit to the practices of the early church. The practices of the early church. When I say the early church this morning, please understand that I'm not talking about some man-made denominational church. I'm not talking about some church that was started by the teachings of men. Instead, I'm talking about the church that you can read about in the New Testament that was under the direct guidance and instructions of the apostles. In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42, when talking about the Jerusalem church, the church that got started as a result of Peter preaching the gospel in its fullness for the first time on the day of Pentecost. After those 3,000 people were baptized into Christ, according to verse number 41 of this chapter, in verse 42 it says, They, these disciples, continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Notice how Luke, the writer of Acts here, makes it very clear that the early church, the church established by Jesus, was under the direct guidance of the apostles. They were devoting themselves, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what they did 2,000 years ago, and that's what we try to do here. That's what we try to do today. You know, we have some people visiting here with us today. And for those who are visiting, I want to first thank you for being here. You're our honored guest. And I want you to understand something, please. I want you to understand that there's a reason why you have seen us do the things that we have done this morning. There's a reason why you have seen us Focus intense, intensely on taking the Lord's Supper and sharing our money together and singing spiritual songs. And, and even while you, you are seeing us right now try to study and learn from the word of God, that there's a reason why we are doing these things. You, you see, the reason why we are doing the things that we do is not because these are the things that we just personally prefer. Instead, the reason why we're doing these things is we're trying our, our very best to to follow the pattern and the example of the church that you can read about in the Bible. We're trying our very best to be humble 
and submit ourselves to heaven's authority and be a first century church in the 21st century. We truly believe that when we follow the pattern and the example of the church that you can read about in the Bible, you can't ever go wrong. You can't ever be led away from the will of heaven because the early church, the Christians you can read about in the Bible, they submitted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They submitted themselves to the doctrine of Christ, which is also the doctrine of the apostles. What I just want you to see, my dear friends, is when it comes to the things that a person does in religion, one doesn't have to guess or wonder if heaven approves of what they're doing. Instead, they, they can know. They can know with 100% absolute certainty. In the case of a local church, if what we are practicing is really approved by heaven, then it can be found being supported by the teachings of Christ, which is also the teachings of the apostles, and whether or not it's in line with the practices of the early church. This is how we determine if we are submitting to the authority of heaven. And this principle certainly applies to our, to our worship, right? You know, when it comes to the worship of a church, and we've been worshiping God today. When it comes to the worship of a church, a church must always ask this question. They must always ask this question. Is our worship being authorized by heaven or men? Is our worship coming from God or is it coming from men? Now, if it's coming from God, if it's really coming from heaven, if the source of the authority is coming from heaven, then it's going to consist of, of things like Bible teaching like we're doing right now. And it's going to consist of taking the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. And it's going to consist of Christians coming together to share their money and give as they have been prospered. And it's going to consist of singing without instrumental accompaniment. And it's also going to consist of Christians praying and, and communicating to God together. I don't have time to read all these verses. Just write them down, get a copy of the outline. But... Every one of these things we've done today, there's a Bible verse to back it up. There's book, chapter, and verse to back it up. This is how the worship of a church looks when it's submitting itself to heaven's authority. But if a church is not submitting itself to heaven's authority, the worship is not going to look like this. Instead, it's going to look very different. Instead of looking like what you find in the New Testament, it's going to consist of, of people doing things like taking the Lord's Supper just once a month or maybe just once a year, maybe just on Easter or Christmas. It's going to consist of singing with instrumental accompaniment. It's going to consist of women preachers and praise teams and dancing and choirs and burning incense and a whole host of other things that you can't find being supported in the doctrine of Jesus Christ. When it comes to the worship of a church, the church, I don't care what church it is, it must always ask itself the question, is our worship from heaven or is it from men? And this same question must also be asked when it comes to our work. Our work, you see, when it comes 
to our work as a church, more specifically when it comes to how we're using the Lord's money, because this money we've taken up today, it's not our money, it's the Lord's money, right? Well, when it comes to that money, and it's being gathered every first day of the week to do God's work, a church must always ask itself, is this work or these funds, the way we're using them, is it coming from heaven or is it coming from men? Is it coming from heaven or from men? Now, if it's coming from heaven, if the work we're doing is being authorized by heaven, then you're going to be able to back it up with, with Bible verses, right? That, that means that church is going to be using the Lord's money to support gospel preachers, whether locally or in other, other places, whether it's Africa or Asia or Europe. There are Bible passages that authorize using the Lord's money to support gospel preaching. A church that submits to heaven's authority also engages in, in the work of, of worshiping the Lord and using the Lord's money to aid us in, a, in, a, in our worship to God is also consists of using the Lord's money to provide aid for needy saints, not the people in the world. We're talking about needy saints here with the Lord's money. It also consists of the work of discipline, church discipline. Holding each other accountable in a biblical way whenever we start walking out of step with the will of God. And it also consists of doing what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28. Before he ascended to heaven, Jesus told us to go out into the world. We preach the gospel to every creature. And once we baptize people by the authority of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we then continue to teach those people. We continue to ground disciples in the truth. This is how the work of a church looks when it's getting its authority from heaven. But when a church doesn't get its authorities from, from heaven, instead of looking like this, it's going to look very different. It's going to look very different. It's going to be a church that's involved in any and every kind of work under the sun. It's going to be a church that's using the Lord's mind to promote recreation, basketball, softball, football, soccer, youth ministers, which are really nothing more than glorified babysitters. Coffee, donuts, pizza, child care, sack races, singles events, bingo nights, orphans homes, and the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. See, all that stuff I just listed, why there's nothing sinful in doing those things as an individual. There's nowhere in the Bible we can go where we find churches engaged in that work. Churches that get involved in that work with the Lord's money have gotten their authority from men and not from heaven. And so we got to always ask ourselves that question. And then finally, I want to close with this. We also got to ask this question when it comes to salvation. Salvation, specifically the plan of salvation that we promote and endorse as a church. You see, when it comes to the plan of salvation that we endorse and promote as a church, we got to always ask ourselves, is this plan coming from God or is it coming from heaven? Is it coming from God or is it coming from heaven? Now, if it's coming from heaven, then that means it's going to line up with passages like Acts 2 and verse 38, where Peter told those on Pentecost to repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. 
It's going to line up with Mark 16, verse 16, where Jesus says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. It's going to line up with Acts 22, verse 16, where Ananias told Saul of Tarsus, Why do you delay? Get up and be baptized. And wash away your sins, calling on his name. You see, if the plan of salvation that we promote is coming from heaven, then it's going to line up perfectly with these verses. But if that plan we are promoting is not coming from heaven, then guess what? It's going to look very different than this. It's going to look very different than what you find in these scriptures. Instead of consisting of faith and repentance and baptism, it may involve faith-only salvation. Or just saying a quote-unquote sinner's prayer. Or maybe just having some kind of emotional experience that you really believe is coming from the Holy Spirit. You see, today there's just so many different plans of salvation that are being promoted in the religious world. But brothers and sisters, we got to understand that heaven, heaven is only approved of one plan of salvation. Heaven has only authorized one plan of salvation, and that plan includes faith in Jesus Christ, repentance of sin, confession of Jesus as the Lord, and being baptized in water, calling on the name of the Lord. That is authorized by heaven. And so, have you submitted to that plan? Have you submitted to what heaven says you must do to get your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ? If not, then this morning you have a great opportunity right here and right now to submit yourself to heaven's authority. And if we can help you with that in any way, come to the front right now as we stand and we sing.